Figured you all had dinner with him. All right. I know, I'm pulling the uh, cord out before I even get started up here. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm Robert Fry, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and I'm honored to be here, and I appreciate the introduction. And my family was intact last I checked. Yeah, so, you know, you always, you always wonder about that sometimes, you know. And sometimes that depends on how I approach the family, too. I, I come in, I'm awful self-centered. So I do try to try to thank my family when I can because... You know, a lot of us that have kids, I know you guys do a pretty good job with some of that babysitting. I know John's here and, and Jasmine, and there you guys are. Um, you know, a lot of spouses are at home, you know, with family members or parent, elderly parents or kids that don't get a lot of credit for that. So I have teenagers now, so you can kind of leave them at home. That has their own problems, but it's better than leaving infants at home, which is what I had at one time, you know. Uh, but my wife does a, a lot of the heavy lifting with that uh, and has, uh, you know, for a long time when I'm at Alcoholics Anonymous. And I try to, I'm much more, my, I'm much less self-centered because of the program than I used to be. And that has not come overnight. It's come gradually and slowly for me. But I do appreciate what that contribution, the very silent contribution that's probably being made by a lot of other spouses and significant others here tonight for, for those of us to be here and be at a meeting and, and be sober together. So anyway, I'm really grateful to be here tonight. I appreciate Susie asking me. She was at our group recently and gave an excellent talk. And I was just sitting there thinking, I don't get particularly nervous before these things until right when they introduce me, but I got to, uh, I, I got to hear my friend Dean speak at uh, Cleveland 12-step group last week, and it was so nice to visit a group and not be the speaker, you know? And I'm like, it, it doesn't work out for me to come out here on Thursday nights, really, because my home group is at Willow Springs in Fuquay, but it is nice to visit another, a good solid A group, and just enjoy another speaker, too, you know? I mean, I, I enjoy the speakers of my home group, too, but it was really nice. Dean did a thing on the, like talking about the spiritual principles behind the 12 steps and kind of how you worked out in your life. It was really good. And it was just so nice to sit out there. So I'm going to try to get out of the way myself here and, and uh, share my experience. So my sobriety day is April 2nd, 1997. And my home group is the Willow Springs group, which meets, as you guys know, uh, down in downtown Fuquay there on Thursday night and Sunday night. In fact, somebody, right when I get finished, someone will be uh, stepping up to speak tonight. Uh, at my home group at 8 o'clock there. And then on Sunday nights we have a, um, like a step study or a, a tradition study. We have that on Sunday nights at 7. And again, a lot of you have been there, but those of you who haven't, if you're looking, you know, Thursday night probably wouldn't work, but if you're looking for something on Sunday nights, we have a beginner's meeting that meets at the same time as our regular meeting. So we, we go have a couple group members that go off with, with the newcomers or uh, with the beginners, and then we have a, a, like a step study or big book kind of literature study. So... Feel free for those of you who haven't been out there to come out and do that. Um, you know, my home group is just a big part of my identity. You know, and, and like I let some folks know that I wasn't going to be there tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I'm grateful for my introduction, Alcoholics Anonymous, because I, I can be so crazy, even well into sobriety sometimes, and I can be you know, seized with fear and all kinds of weird thoughts. But to me, there's just some real comfort in the regularity of knowing when my home group meets. And sort of knowing what I'm going to do on Thursday nights, what I'm going to do on Sunday nights. And then I do, I do some other AA meetings from time to time, and some service commitments and treatment centers and things like that. But I've always enjoyed having that regularity and, and getting to see the same people. In fact, I've been hungry to remember with a number of the folks in this, in this group that are here that started this group a number of years ago. But, it, you know, just having that regularity there is, is a big part of my sobriety. And it's so unspectacular. 
You know, you talk about consistency. You know, you don't, consistency is not great in the moment, is it? <laughs> you know, like, man, that, look at all that consistency. <laughs> all that slowly showing up at the group uh, Thursday and Sunday. Uh, but there's, I, the longer I've been sober, I mean, there's people that are certainly spectacular in the moment, but there's a lot to be said for, for real, slow, patient consistency. I think that's what a home group is about, that we, you know, I continue to come here, you know, even when I don't want to drink. I come here to try to carry the message, but I mean, it's where you sort of take your place in the home group. And again, it's not very spectacular from day to day. Like tonight it was for me. Y'all had, you know, there was music going on and y'all were cooking out there. And I really appreciate Brian and all of y'all that cooked and brought food. It was very kind of you. Um, but, but, you know, most of the time home group is just, you know, it's sort of perfunctory. You know, we come set up chairs, somebody cheers the meeting and you want to try to bring a little life to that. But, but I'm very grateful for my home group and the home groups that I've had uh, over the years. So, uh, so I do want to talk about drinking here. It's important to identify as an alcoholic. It, I, I try to tell you how spiritual I am before I talk about drinking. It's a mistake, you know. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't play well um, for alcoholics. You know, I think at some point we do need to, to get down to it. But I, I'm a guy who loved to drink. I don't know why. We seem to have a, a bit of a strain of alcoholism in our family. My brother's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and took his drinking much, much further than I could have ever imagined. I got a, a real front row seat to that. And you would think, and my family thought for a while that, well, you know, you're sober. You got, just go talk to your brother. Straighten him <laughs> out, right? I wish it was that easy, you know. Y'all, y'all know the answer to that. He's not going to give up till he gives up, you know. And, uh, whenever that might be. Sometimes it's never, unfortunately. But he did finally give up a few years ago, and I'm real grateful for that. But... We, we just love to drink, and for me, it came on fast and strong for me. I didn't, you know, I, I was a guy who started drinking somewhat regularly, fairly regularly at 15, and then was done drinking at 19, and I was very upset about that. You know, I had, I had plans to drink way longer than that, you know, and the fact that I'm here sober 25 years later, this was not my plan, and, and, and thank God I didn't get my plan. I don't know what exactly my plan was. But I knew that I loved drinking, and, and I sort of I began to follow that path, and didn't consciously set out to, to wreck my life and to change the direction of it. But that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I ended up uh, just enjoying. You know, my parents were a good, normal, hardworking folks. My parents are the kind of people that were principled because it's the right thing to do. You know, I, I like to to claim that I'm a principled guy now, but it's because I'm trying to stay sober, you know? <laughs> I didn't come by it because it was the right thing to do. I mean, it is the right thing to do, to be honest, and all that hardworking, but, you know, I've learned that in AA. I, <laughs> I didn't come to the world like that. My parents tried to introduce me to it, but they, they were hardworking people, and they were honest people, and they did the right thing because it was the right thing to do. And, and again, they introduced me to all that, and, and they introduced me to, they tried to raise me into church, and I hated every moment of it. Um, I just I just couldn't stand any of that. And again, not, not their fault at all, but just the way I was. But I was a really locked up, afraid kind of kid for without any reason to be afraid. No logical reason at all to be afraid. I was raised in a real loving, supportive home. And so, but my parents, uh, again, normal people, good, responsible people do drink. There's no doubt. Drinking's not, nothing wrong with drinking. I just can't do it. But my parents uh, were those folks who didn't drink at home. They'd go out and they'd have a few glasses of wine or a drink or two at, at a dinner or a party. But people would bring them over the years, you know, bottles of vodka and, and whiskey and stuff like that for the holidays. And they would just stick it in this closet, stick it in this closet. So, and there, it was also where they kept the fireworks. So as a kid, I, I go get the fireworks and I see bottles, you know, and it doesn't mean anything to me for a while. 
But as I'm, you know, as I'm getting older, as a teenager, I begin to get curious about that. And I got some friends that are curious about that. And so we start sneaking into their, their, it was a huge stash of just untouched liquor bottles is what it was. And they had no idea what was there. You could have literally drank all of it. And I don't think they would have known. They just, it was not, it was just there. They didn't want to throw it away. It was the answer. So we started drinking. Uh, we pour out half a can of Pepsi and pour vodka or whiskey or something on top of it. And I just love the way it made me feel. You know, it was better than normal. And that, that's certainly been a trend for me. Um, what Alcoholics Anonymous and the Steps and God have done for me is I, I like being normal today. I like right here with you guys. I don't like, you know, feeling higher or lower than I should be. And that was the exact opposite when I drank. When I, when I was a teenager and started drinking those, those uh, spiked cans of soda, normal was it, whatever it was was better than normal it, it wasn't always this euphoric thing but it was always better i was more talkative i seemed to get along better with people i thought i was much cooler than i was you know it was just it was just better than normal and it's the only way i can describe it and i didn't go into daily drinking with it but i took that idea and that stash of, of liquor by the way i realized that i could drink that way with my friends on the weekend i could you know get in one of those bottles on a Tuesday night or Wednesday night. So I started doing that just sort of intuitively. I mean, it wasn't like anybody said, oh, you ought to try drinking during the week. Or, you know, I didn't need to drink during the week, but I, I wanted to, you know. And so I started, you know, even in ninth and 10th grade, I'm drinking during the week by myself doing homework. And um, I just liked the way it made me feel. You know, it was just, it was better than doing homework sober. Have a few drinks, you know. I mean, that's the way I looked at it. And, and I had, I had the, I think the big book talks about this delusion that we have that somehow alcohol makes us more intellectual and smarter and all that. There was a little bit of that going on, but I, in the beginning, I could, I could, I could function through what I was drinking. When I got to college, um, that was the exact opposite of that. I kept trying to find the right balance of things, and it was always overshooting the mark and could never do what I intended to do as a college student, and that, that was where my drinking ended. Was as a freshman in college, um, I drank my way out without having earned any credits at all. It was, I was a freshman, but I had no credits. I was just, you know, I was just one of those that, that couldn't do it. And so I went from innocently drinking as a 14 or 15 year old kid. I, you know, we were riding bikes, we couldn't drive. And then as my drinking progressed through high school, I got to the point where I, by the time I landed in college, I'm a daily drinker. And, and that idea that I could do homework and be intellectual, I held on to that delusion, <laughs> but it was completely false, you know. There was no evidence at that point that it was going to be helpful at all to me. Uh, in fact, we had one of these big, um, I was, we had these, they weren't entrance exams, but I got into the college there, and it, I went to Appalachian State in Boone, that was where I drank my way out of it first, and they had like these testing things, they wanted you to like measure you for an English placement or math placement and all this stuff and so again I'm laboring under that delusion that you know when I drink I'm smarter you know and and so uh, we were we had a friend of ours who lived on an off-campus apartment so he could keep alcohol in there we, we lived in the dorms as freshmen you couldn't really I mean we, we had some in there but you had to be a lot more careful about it you know and you couldn't just drink as openly as we wanted to so we I went over to his apartment and just drinking and it I don't know how many hours in advance I thought I needed to get the right state of mind over there you know but I'm drinking and drinking and and I think all right I'm you know I'm ready I'm ready to get over there and so I, I set out to go and Again, I'm not very familiar with this place. I'd only been there like a week or two. I was a freshman, it was brand new, maybe not even a week. And I, I really didn't know where a lot of stuff was when I was sober. But when I got drunk, I didn't know where anything was. I mean, I was just, I, I left the apartment 
And I had no idea. I thought I knew where I was going, right? Like, I, yeah, I didn't know exactly where that is. Well, if you get there and it's not there, you know, it's just a nightmare. So that's, so I ended up, I don't know, I, someone eventually directed me there. I think I stopped and asked for directions. And I grew up in a small town, Wilson. It's a lot bigger now than it used to be. But I went to high school, had a graduating class of 27 people, which is a very small graduating class. So you throw me at Appalachian State, you had like 12,000 students at that time, you know, and it, it was an overwhelming experience for somebody that was responsibly sober at the time, but it was really, really bad for me. But I went in there and I, and I still, I thought, oh, yeah, I finally, I was in late, show up, you know, reeking of whiskey, go in there and, and they let me sit down with whatever it was and there was just essay writing. I thought, oh man, I can't wait. You know, I was just ready for them, you know essays, you know, and there's no telling what I put on that stuff. It's probably completely illegible is what it was. But in my mind, I think it's probably the best thing they've ever read, you know, and it's funny how we can be so, you know, go from normal and just a few years later, alcohol will twist us into to that way of thinking. And again, it doesn't do it to everybody. My wife is, uh, is a regular drinker. You know, she keeps a bottle of rum in the cabinet. And she'll hit that thing from time to time. She'll have a drink. And I never even know she's drinking, which is, you know, Y'all know how we are. When I start drinking, you're going to know it. Because I want, like, you just can't stand it, you know? Like, you know, I want to tell people what I've drunk and share some with them and all that. But I think it's the difference with normal drinkers. My wife will literally drink sometimes during the week, and I have no idea she's even had a drink. I mean, I just don't even understand that kind of drinking. It just doesn't, um, that's why I can't drink, you know? So, but anyway, I, I got up there, and that was where I had, my drinking had taken me up there. And so... Um, this is an AA meeting. I'll confine my remarks to my alcoholism, but I, but I, I was interested in other things and other things that were available that made things better than normal and also to let me drink longer than normal. And so I'm sampling you know, all the things like that that I can get, too, at the same time, and, and that runs into its own problems. Uh, but, yeah, I, we, I got up there and just, just went crazy. I kept thinking if I left Wilson where I had been drinking very heavily and had had some trouble with relationships and had some trouble in my, in my personal life up there, Oh, there it is. I can see the clock if I turn to the left there a little bit. So, but I had some trouble in my personal life, and and I was seeing a psychiatrist for some some what I thought were anger and fear issues, and they were anger and fear issues, but they were they were alcohol related. They were not, uh, you know, they weren't anything but that. They, alcohol and other things related is what they were, and I. Uh, you know, I lied to those doctors about what was going on with me, and if you took just my symptoms and didn't factor in how much I was drinking and the way that I was living, it, I, I'd look like a number of mental illnesses, you know? I mean, really, you, I mean, that, that's why when newcomers get here, they're often, like I was, very over-medicated because if you don't understand how deep that alcoholism is and what it does to us, you know, sometimes you gotta get people a little dried out to really see what you're working with, and, and that was what happened for me. So I got very much loaded up on medication, which was fine by me. I like taking pills anyway, you know? So they gave me, I mean, they gave me antidepressants, they, they threw some Xanax in there. I knew it was Xanax and Valium more, you know? I was like, all right, I, I'm sure that will help, you know? And, but I got, to, I got this app, and I mean, it was just a disaster, you know? It, uh, my drinking, I, I left Wilson, you know, having had that experience with a psychiatrist and some trouble in high school with relationships and stuff, and thinking that I could recreate my life when I got to Boone. And, and I swear that geographic cure as a practicing alcoholic sounds like absolute, like the perfect solution, you know, that if you, you know, I think Broken Feather shaved his head one time, you know, I'm sure that seemed like a good solution. I never thought that was going to be a solution for me. I shaved a beard one time by accident, you know, but I, I was trimming a beard drunk and it, um, that's a mistake too, you know, you cut it weird. But, you know, I, I got up there and 
And I thought being in Boone would be different. I, could, you know, I, could, I wouldn't drink as much. I'd meet new friends or be new places. You know, I'd buckle down and be you know, a good student and all that. And, of course, you guys know what I immediately got into when I got there. It was the same thing. I fell right in to the same crowd. You know, we talk about that language of the heart in Alcoholics Anonymous that if, you know, one alcoholic sharing with another, we have that sense of identification with our problem, and then we have to share a common solution the steps and all that. And, but, but it seemed like you could fall in with a crowd of drunks like that, too. You know, that it didn't take much, like, language of the heart, whatever that, probably not the right word for it, but, you know, you, you're hanging around orientation with some other freshmen there, and I just seemed to gravitate toward a certain crowd, and and, and it was on, and, and so we, you know, I got, I got exactly that. So I started drinking daily again as soon as I got there. Never really stopped. I was drinking daily all that summer after high school, thinking that when I got to Boone, something was going to be magically different, right? I mean, it, but it really sounded good to me, and of course it wasn't. And so it went from there. So I had a, a very bad experience. You know, I got to the point where I'll try and sort of finish up my drinking around this if I can, but... Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Brian's sharing his watch with me. All right. Thank you. So I've got where normal things didn't even seem normal anymore. You know, um, I can remember we would be up all night drunk and sometimes two or three days in a row drunk and just, just in terrible shape and had had all these good intentions about going to class and not drinking again and all that stuff. And I start hearing people's alarms go off because you're living in a dorm and there's a bunch of people living you know, in a dorm environment, you can hear things through the walls and the hallways as people are getting up and getting ready and stuff. And I would hear their alarms going off, and I hear people getting up and, like, going to the shower and, like, getting ready. And it, this seems crazy, but there's some of you will probably relate to it. It's like I couldn't even understand how they did that. Like, I couldn't understand how to set an, how to go to bed, first of all, and not drink. And then to set an alarm clock and get up to the alarm clock and then get up and get dressed and take a shower. Like, like the easiest thing in the world for most people to do. I would gotten to a point where I couldn't even understand that. I wanted to do that, and I kept telling myself, you know, I won't drink tomorrow, I'll crash and sleep for, you know, 15 hours, and then I'll get up and I won't drink, and I'll, I'll be that guy, and I'll, and I'll, I'll set an alarm clock, and, and you guys know what happened. It, but I got where normal stuff just didn't even seem normal anymore to me, and, and I never set out to do that. I, I never did, and I, I suppose all of us don't set out to get, you know, where we end up going with that. So I, uh, I fled uh, the campus there, and went back home to mom and dad's house. Uh, they, they didn't know what to do with me, and I really didn't know what to do with myself. I was blaming the problems in my life on, on, on depression and mental illness and things that had been diagnosed uh, because I had lied you know, to a lot of doctors about it, and I'm blaming it on that stuff. And So my parents are initially sympathetic, but it doesn't take long for me to land back in their house for them to realize what's kind of going on. You know, I'm hiding bottles and staying up and, and acting weird and ended up wrecking their car one time and, you know, just getting in all kinds of trouble. And so I ended up in a treatment center that it was in Raleigh. It's no longer there, but I'm really, really grateful for that treatment center because it, it gave me my introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's the first place I can remember ever talking to a sober alcoholic who was sober and recovered um, and had, had a solution. Now, he was working as a professional at that time in a treatment center but he had, he had been an A, he was, he was an A member as far as I know at that time. He was still a member at that time and had had the experience of the steps. And he was doing the intake with me, you know. And of course, you're lying to him about half the stuff you're drinking and all that, right? You're lying. You can't, can't just lay everything on him, you know. I mean, it, when, you, when you're an alcoholic, I mean, dishonesty is an occupational hazard. I mean, you just, if you tell normal people how much you're drinking and kind of what you're doing, they'll be, I mean, they just don't even understand. 
And so I'm, I'm giving this guy a little bit of what I'm doing, and it's certainly enough to get checked in there, and, you know. But I'm trying to temper it. I don't want to shock anybody with that stuff. Of course, he knew. He was, he was sober, I think, 12 years at that time. So I wasn't going to shock him, but I didn't know that, you know. And, but I remember he pushed his paperwork aside, and he essentially told me that he knew exactly what my life was like right at that moment, even though I had, was trying to shield it from him, you know, about how, like, acting like it wasn't really that bad, you know. And, and uh, he said, if you'll do what we're asking you to do, if you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you can have the life that I've got there today. And even in my really foggy state, I could tell that he was happy. He was clean. He was employed. You know, I mean, he was, he was all the things that I couldn't seem to figure out anymore, you know, how to sort of conduct normal life. And so there was a little spark of hope there for me. And, and I credit him for spending the time after the intake with me, sharing a little bit of his story. Um, even though, you know, again, I think AA members can be better professionals sometimes because they have that personal experience. I know it worked for me, having him in that treatment center as a sober alcoholic and as a professional. But uh, So anyway, I'm grateful for that. And uh, I'll just share this one last uh, little anecdote about that. I don't want to give a drug talk up here or anything. But um, I did get off the drugs I've been using in that treatment center, and I had the bright idea... Uh, again, I was 19 years old when I got out of there that I would drink only, right? Which makes, I know there's some people sitting here who have done that or maybe even be, are contemplating that. Um, that's why I share it, you know, that if I put that other stuff aside, I'm young, I'm, I'm not even of legal drinking age yet. I mean, really, I could, you can make a pretty good argument you shouldn't be an alcoholic at 19 years of age. You're not really supposed to be drinking all that much. But I was. And, and so I thought, well, I'll put all that stuff aside and and then I'll drink, you know, and of course you, you guys know what happened, just like the geographic cure, what, what happened with that. And so I got a job working on a plant nursery, loading plants, just doing manual labor. When I got out of the treatment center, it was very good for me. It was just sort of a steady eight to five kind of job and was trying to go to AA meetings. They wanted me to go to AA meetings. But for me at the time, I still had the notion that I'm young, I'm different than you guys, you know, it might be fine for y'all, but you know, I'm too young. I really, I was convinced I was too young to be an alcoholic. But so I tried drinking only, and you guys know how that happened. I mean, so I ended up my my drinking just steadily increased. I it never got quite as bad as it did when I was a, then that first semester at Appalachian State. I mean, I we were I was so out of control. I mean, it was just unbelievable that I'd get in a lot more trouble with drinking and driving and stuff with it. But I just for whatever reason I I didn't. But my drinking never got so out of hand as it had been prior to the treatment center, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. But it, it, was, it was out of hand, it was accelerating. And I'd been drinking, um, you know, it, this was just how, we, I had a small friend group, most of, who dr most of whom drank alcoholically, in my opinion. And if we were gonna drive, we'd have a little bit of beer uh, or liquor in the car with us. You know, if you're gonna drive to Greenville or drive to Raleigh, you'd have a few beers. <laughs> yeah, that's just what we, just what it was. I mean, it seemed like the right thing to do. And so I drove to Greenville from Wilson, and it's, it was about 45 minutes or so, and drank there. I don't know whether I drank on the way back. I just can't remember. But I left um, a friend's house late in the evening. I think this was during the week, as best I can tell. I think it was a Friday night, in fact, because I ended up going to the speaker meeting at the principal's group, which was Saturday night, the next night, and asked a man to be my sponsor. So that, that was so I, I left her house and pulled out on a country road and just drove that car off into a ditch, you know, and, and down in the ditch, cleaned this ditch out, and then it ended up spinning around and flipping upside down, pointing the opposite direction of the way I had been driving, you know. And I didn't hardly know what had happened by the time I'm, I'm laying on the, I guess, on the roof at that time, looking up at the, at the floorboard and the 
dash and all that. I really didn't know what had happened. I wasn't wearing a seatbelt and got pulled off the steering wheel. I can remember literally being pulled off the steering wheel when it spun and hitting the passenger side door. It's one of those old trucks with a bench seat. It was not one of the nice modern trucks. It was like a 1986 Ford and it had no center console. It just had that plastic seat all the way across. So it was really easy to slide all the way across it, you know. But I, but I did and had a roll bar, thank God. You know, look, people, you know, people get in real, real bad trouble with rollover accidents, passengers and drivers. But again, I, I didn't I didn't deserve not to get hurt. I mean, I, I had driven drunk a lot of times and not really had many consequences for that. But I, once I collected myself, I crawled out the back window, and once I realized I was okay, I thought, I've got to get out of here now, right? <laughs> like, that's your next thought is, all right, we're good. Now let's, you know, I, I could walk. It was a few miles into town, into Wilson, where I was at. Well, you know, in, as, as luck or God or whatever might have it, uh, as I look out, it's dark. This is late at night. I had apparently landed right in someone's front yard, you know, and so... Before, again, it's a very foggy time. I was drunk, and it was just, my whole life at that time was just a whirlwind. But I, I hear, I start hearing, this is late at night, it's dark, you start hearing sirens in the distance, you know. I thought, oh man, they got me. You know, I, I thought they had me then, you know. And, then, and uh, I, I was not going to be able to get far enough away uh, from where I was, but, you know, because when someone wrecks in your front yard, the right thing to do is to call the police, you know. Like, <laughs> I didn't want them to, but they did, you know, and I'm, gr- I'm grateful that they did. And so uh, I couldn't get out of there, and, and uh, you know, I, I thought, well, this is, you know, this is going to be it. I'll go to jail tonight. And, and uh, you know, I'd had this whole delusion, is what I would call it, I guess, that the rules applied to everyone else but me. I'm special. I should always get a pass. The world owes me something. You guys owe me something. You know, I don't think anyone ever told me that, but I always kind of operate on that premise. And so I had gotten some passes from some criminal trouble that I didn't deserve, but at the time I felt like I did deserve, but I absolutely did not deserve those. But um, how a patrolman responded, ambulance, fire truck, all that responded, I was totally fine, totally uninjured in the accident. Someone got a hold of my parents. You know, this is uh, early 97. Now, there were some cell phones at that time. Like, the, they weren't very good, though. You know, Broken Feather was on the cutting edge of cell phones at one time. He was supplying my sponsor with cell phones. But they weren't very good back then, as I recall. I mean, they just weren't like they are now at all. But um, someone called my parents. They came out there, and that highway patrolman let me go home with my family instead of giving me a DWI that night. Now, I didn't deserve that at all. I thought I did. I mean, when, they, when that happened, I thought, well, that's right. You know, like, you just think that's right. You know, like, I, I get a pass. But, yeah. Yeah, I had this whole, you know, illusion of myself as some kind of responsible guy, you know, maybe just misunderstood, maybe made a few bad decisions and all that. That's how I sort of saw myself. But. So I made the decision the next night, because even I knew that that, that was bad and that it, that it could end a lot worse. I'd get the DWIs I deserved to get or the other criminal trouble where I'd get, I would be injured in that accident or someone else would be, you know, for that matter. And so I made the decision. I've been flirting with that, the principal's group of Wilson for a while. And I'd heard people talk about sponsors and steps, and I didn't know what any of it meant, but I kept hearing people say that my life was bad, and I worked the steps, and it got better. But even through my sort of foggy brain, that much would, would sank through. And, I, and people talked about having sponsors. I really didn't know quite what that meant, but I, I had an idea that it was like a guide. And so I'd been trying it on my own there for really from January when I got out of the treatment center until um, and that would have been right late March of uh, 97. And so I, had, I said, I'm going to go to that group and ask one of those men to be my sponsor that I've been watching up there, and, and we'll see what happens. And 
again, that was, I was not a guy who made very many good decisions at that time, but that was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Because I can look back, I drank one other time after that, I drank on April 1st, 97. Um, and that was the last time I drank. And so I got, I got a sponsor the next night and he, I remember him saying, well, we'll, we'll talk about it after the meeting. I said, will you be my sponsor? I think I need a sponsor. I just had this terrible wreck and I've, you know, I've been drinking off and on. And I think I need more help than just coming to the meetings is what I said. And he said, well, let's talk about it. So we went and drove around downtown Wilson after the speaker meeting that night. And I remember him saying things like, we're going to work the steps. We're going to read the book together. You know, the, they wrote that book to show other people how they recover from alcoholism. None of that meant anything to me. I mean, I just, it was fine. I mean, I, he could have, but he could have suggested anything. I mean, I, I had really run out of ideas. I, I had sort of worked through the mental health system. You know, my dishonesty was not going to allow that to be of any help at all. Um, and it was way beyond any of that. I had tried, you know, the geographic cure. It didn't work very well. And I had tried different ways of moderating on my own, and none of that, that ever worked for me. And so... Um, I, I, I said I was willing to do it, you know, and, and so they, I can look back from that, that decision from what seemed like a terrible night, and probably was. I mean, imagine, you know, I'm a parent now of teenagers, and I can suspect it was a terrible night for my parents, actually much worse than it was for me, right, to, to have your son get in an accident like that and, and know that he's already in deep trouble with his, with his drinking, too. So it was a much worse night for them. But from that, some of the good came out of here. I'm 25 years later. I mean, a little more than that as a, a product of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and the people that have helped me along the way is what, I, what, I de, what deserves the credit for that change. It, it didn't end up a lot differently than that. So, you know, we went on and I remember him saying, we're going to work the steps. So Steve was single at that time and living in Wilson. I was unemployed and living at mom and dad's house <laughs> and uh, was working that job, you know, moving plants and hauling plants around and stuff. And I had plenty of time to go to meetings. So I went to meeting, you know, every night of the week, certainly for that first year, because there were a lot of times it was the only relief I got from my head. So even when I quit drinking and got a sponsor and started working the steps, my head would be so full of fear sometimes. And it, my, I had these obsessive kind of thoughts about, you know, taking a drink or, just, just these weird kind of fearful thoughts. And I would think if I can hang on and get to that meeting that night, I'll be okay. And I would just say, you know, one day at a time or less sometimes. And for me, it was less. And it was just making, a lot of the meetings then were at 8 o'clock. And I'd make it 8 o'clock and it would be fine. And a lot of times I'd get a real sense of peace after the meeting. It was just, uh, so I knew, you know, there was something good happening there. In fact, I think for me, the first time I was ever aware of a concept of a higher power was in a meeting like this, you know, like, like standing around saying the Lord's Prayer at the end. And even just sitting in like the discussion meetings of that group, there was almost a sense of a power, certainly for me, a sense of a power greater than myself in those meetings. That maybe if I could plug into it, I'd be okay, you know, and, and, and I still get that. And I think that that is true. There is a, a power here among us uh, that can help us stay sober. But I, I began to sense that as a, just a crazy, weird newcomer that if I could hang on. And, and for me, plugging into the power was coming to the meeting. And we can do it other ways. And I, and I was trying other ways. It just didn't work very well. I was trying to pray in the morning, but I was so just sort of excited and scared about wanting to drink and not wanting to drink and just being so mixed up that... For me, the action was more helpful than anything. Just, I would take, a, I'd do a little reading of a literature in the morning and say some prayers. But for me, it was being with you guys for an hour. We just settled that craziness down. And so I went to meetings almost every night for the first four years of my sobriety, in, in large part because it was just such a, it was such a nice thing to, to calm my mind down. And it's really where I needed to be, you know. And so I'm grateful for that. We went on and worked the steps. 
I was a guy who didn't think I needed to work the steps once I realized what they were, you know. <laughs> I thought, I can't. This was my thought process, and I know Broken Feathers heard this before, but I thought that I was too young to have any defects of character. <laughs> I thought, how can you have defects of character at 19 years of age, right? Now, some of you older folks here in the audience or that group, plenty of time to develop defects of character. I didn't know what defects of character were, but I was certain I didn't have them, you know? Like, don't have that, you know? And so, well, no need to do a four-step then, of course. That's for somebody else. And I think what, I'm grateful for that process of the steps because I was so blind in my defects character, I didn't know I had them. I had so fundamentally been dishonest in everything I did, was so afraid in everything I did, um, was so self-centered. I, I, my experience has always been more around the self-centered fear than the anger. I know some people deal with anger, and I don't say I have not been angry or don't get angry, but uh, resentment has not always been the, sort of the primary problem for me. It's been much more fear-based for me. But I was so sort of inundated with all that, I didn't even know I had it. And so grateful that we went through and did that. I can literally remember sitting down and looking at it, you know, as, as an academic kind of exercise. My sponsor, we read the book together and he read the, the four-step portions about writing your columns out and all that. And, and, I, and I, I had the good sense not to raise the issue with Steve that I didn't think I needed to do it because I knew he was going to make me do it. You know, <laughs> like it was clear he expected me to do it. But I'm thinking, well, we'll see. There won't be anything here, you know, is what I thought. So that, that was what I did. And I can remember sitting down and beginning to write some of the resentment list, which is sort of the first thing a lot of us do, and sort of what it affected and the reasons. And then we, we look at our part in it and stuff and, and, and list of fears and then the relationship sex conduct stuff. And I, I remember having the experience after that, again, very early. I was only sober just a few months. But... I remember having the experience that, that I had, that was really, those things were very much a part of me and I had been totally unaware of it, you know, and some of that dishonesty. And it's amazing how, I like how the big book, it, it says that if you, it doesn't say it over and over again, but it says it in the third step a lot. And maybe even the fourth step too about that we, we were fueled by that fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. And I love that they use delusion because I don't think it was, at least for me, it's just my experience, I don't think it was a matter of denial for me and with a lot of the problems I was creating, or even with my drinking, or even with the defects here, I really didn't believe I had them. I was in a delusional state because anybody around me knew I had them. I mean, I would steal from you. If you left something loose, it was gone. You know, if I had a chance to take it. And I, but I didn't think I was a thief. I didn't think I stole. Like, I thought I was honest, you know? I mean, but, but I wasn't at all. But, I, but in my mind, I had... Again, I don't think it was a matter of fooling myself. I think it was in a very much sort of a delusional kind of state about that, that I, I believed I was someone entirely different than what I really was. And the four-step kind of helped uncover that stuff. And I'm so grateful for that because it, it began that process. Now, I didn't get you know completely honest overnight. I didn't lose all that self-centeredness overnight or all that fear, but it began a, a process of getting a lot better for me. I mean, I, if I look back now, the longer I'm sober, the more self-centered I realize that I am and have been I mean I'm just deeply self-centered and it's got again it's gotten a lot better but it, it's not always been easy it's affected my family sometimes it affected my work sometimes but you, know, you can look back it's hard to see it from a day-to-day -day standpoint I think sometimes but if I look back my sponsor said this the other day but the steps continue to unravel for us which that makes sense. And it, what, what he meant by that, and it's been my experience, is they continue to sort of deepen for us. Like they continue, like, you would think that if you studied something for a few years, you could become an expert in it. 
and you would have it finished or completed. But it seems like the steps as we stay on this kind of, like we're talking about consistency or sort of unspectacular day-to-day little actions, the steps continue. And I think God continue to move in our life and we get better through that process. Sometimes it's very slow though. I mean, there've been some stuff that I couldn't believe I still struggled with. I mean, deep into my sobriety. And I think I have to be careful about that. I think I've been sober too long to have this problem, you know, like, you know, like a, a lot of it is not related to like stealing or, or, you know, confronting other people or getting in fights. It's not stuff like it's overt like that, but it, it's like phobias and fears and trouble making a decision or not wanting to do something. I think, how? I've been sober too long, you know, and here I am struggling with this again. And, and the reality is you can, you know, you can have problems at, at any length of sobriety. And I think that's why we need our, you know, we continue to have a need for sponsorship. I know I do. In fact, I'm certain of this. I, I've called my sponsor more in the last month than I did as a newcomer sometimes. <laughs> I had some stuff a month ago that was just killing me. Very much self-created, by the way. You know, I mean, life, life definitely surprises us with, with problems sometimes. And I've had those too. There's no doubt about that. I've had some difficult times from things that, that just happen. People die in your life. You know, bad things happen in our lives sometimes. You've got to learn to walk through that sober. But, but I, what I'm talking about is like self-created problems. <laughs> like my mind just going completely haywire on me and just not, not operating correctly. And so I'm grateful for sponsorship. And, and again, if I look back and, on any decision I've ever made that was important, it was having a sponsor. And for whatever reason, it's worked. I've had the same sponsor since I got sober. And it's really remarkable. And if you look back at where I was when I got sober, I didn't even know what a good sponsor looked like. You know, I would sit in the back. That old, some, I don't know if some, I know, I know Broken Feather was there. I don't know if anyone else was that old principal's group of Wilson when it was around. Brian was probably there, maybe, from time to time. But there was, a, Steve and them would sit at that front table, you know, and they would, they'd be there. And I was sitting on the, I would sneak in on the back row trying to, I wanted help, but I didn't really want help. You know, I was still scared. <laughs> so I'd sneak in there and, you know, they'd, they'd go around everybody to introduce themselves, and I'd introduce myself as an alcoholic and an addict, and there'd be this shuffling at the front table, you know, <laughs> murmuring and shuffling around, you know. But, but nobody ever threw me out, you know, but, but through that haze, like, I, so I, you know, they finally straightened me out why that didn't make sense to say that I was anything other than alcoholic in the A meeting. And it made sense to me, but nobody threw me out of that meeting. And I've always taken that lesson, because you hear some hard-nosed kind of stuff like, They'd never say that in our group. We'd throw them right out of there. I'm like, well, it may not be a very welcoming group, you know. I mean, you've got to deal with those folks after the meeting or before the meeting if you're aware of it. But I was aware that those men and women at that front table had something that I didn't, you know, that as a crazy, weird newcomer, if I could get involved with them. And, again, I thought I was young. I, was, I thought I was cool. Um, I thought I needed as a young sponsor who was as cool as I was, you know, and did, like, had the same interest, you know, listen to Grateful Dead music, went to concerts, all this kind of stuff, this list of things that I thought my sponsor needed to have. And through that process of sitting in that group and just watching people that were happy about being sober, I picked a guy the total opposite of that. In fact, he's exactly my parents' age, which was not what I was looking for in a sponsor. I didn't think so, at least. But, it, but it's funny how I think God leads us and God puts people in our lives, I think, when we need them. And I think we get put in people's lives when other people need us sometimes. I, think I've, I don't think I'm anything special, but I think I've literally walked into some people's lives at a moment they need or made a few phone calls sometimes, it completely inadvertently. And I don't credit that to myself, but when people needed it. And I've absolutely received phone calls and had people walk into my life when I needed it. 
but uh, but Steve got put into my life, and and I can look back from that decision, you know, how things changed from there. And so, I had a chance to go back to college. Um, I stayed, went all went through all four years, and earned all the credits I was supposed to, you know, that I had not earned the first time. And uh, I had some some members of the first group said that. Um, you know, it was weird for me to go back. They wanted me to live in the dorms again because I had no, I was literally a freshman again. I had not earned any credits to be a, a sophomore, so I had to live on campus again for that first year. And, and for me, it was really scary because I blamed that dorm that I lived on. That was another thing I blamed for my problems. Well, if you lived in there, you'd be living like that too. Everybody drank, everybody's doing this stuff. And, and so I'm just, you know, I'm just keeping up the sort of, you know, the way I was putting it. And so, but it was weird to go back there, but I went back and had just a completely different experience living in, uh, in that dorm and, and going to college for that matter. It's funny how our perception changes when we get sober. Well, it looked like a place that was full of alcohol and full of parties and was a totally different place. Now, that was what I found the first time I went, but when I went back the second time, it was a totally different place. Um, and just a great place. And so I joined the, the Blowing Rock Promises group. I looked around. Uh, Boone and Blowing Rock were a very loose kind of area, a lot of problem-solving meetings there. Almost every meeting you went to, even big book study meetings, they opened with, does anybody want to talk about a problem first? And then they would, and if no one said anything, they'd go study the big book. It just baffled me. And I, you know, I had been sober like four months, so I get to Boone, I think I know something, right? Like, and, and I will say this, I knew better than a chair meeting that way, but I, didn't, I may not have known much else as a guy who's sober with four months going up there. But anyway, there were a lot of those kind of groups. And, but but if, I, if I say, it would not be the kind of group I'd want to choose today or that I'd want to start or be a part of today. But the reality is I got sober in those groups. I was only sober, you know, I acted like I was sober. I come out of the principal's group thinking I know something about AA. And I, perhaps I did a little bit, right? But... But I got sober in those groups, you know, and most times people didn't bring up a problem, thank God. Sometimes they did, but most of the time I'm sitting there thinking, oh, let's hope, you know, there's that moment where you're just waiting for somebody to jump in with something. <laughs> and if they didn't, we'd read the step six and have a great meeting. But it's just inundated, at least at that time, I don't know how it is now, but it was in, the entire area was inundated with problem-solving meetings, even in regular meetings. Uh, there were not just discussion meetings, in other words. But I, but I got sober up there, and then some of the folks... Um, I'll try and wind up. We're getting sort of close to the hour here. But um, some of the early you know, folks said, if you go up there with the idea that you're going to stay sober, I suspect you'll have a chance to get an education, which really seems like the opposite of what you might tell someone who had flunked out of college the first time and had blown that opportunity. That, you, know, you need to go up there and buckle down and take double the classes and work extra hard, right? And the advice I got from Alcoholics Anonymous was if you go up there and keep your sobriety first and stay sober, I bet you'll have a chance to get an education. And that's exactly right. I mean, I, I love, when, when I drink, all bets are off. Yeah, I'm like you guys. I mean, I, my best of intentions are gone when I drink. And I, and I fundamentally knew that as a, as a newcomer with just a few months of sobriety, and I know that tonight. And so it made complete sense to me that if I would go up there, get a home group, go to meetings, get to know the AA folks up there, that I'd probably be okay, and I was. Um, and, and, and I, I had a great experience with those groups, even though they might have been a little goofy for most of us today. I still have good friends that I, that I met in those groups. I still sponsor some people that I met in those groups that got, you know, we, we, we trash talked some of those problem solving meetings today. The reality is, me and Tate got sober right in the middle of all that. So, you know, Tate, who lives in Charlotte, but we got sober in the middle of all that. But anyway, I'm just so grateful for that. I met my wife there. Um, she was. Um, you know, she was a regular person, you know, a regular woman going to college and, 
And I had been sober two years, and I would have never met her if I had been sober. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I was not living a lifestyle that she would have been interested in or would have even crossed paths with me. I can assure you of that. I met her in a coffee shop. You know, A, you know, a we know all about a coffee shop. You know, that's, that's sort of where we go when we get sober, it seems like. We love coffee, and, and, I, and I certainly love coffee, but I met her there, and so she was, she was there. And we graduated, and we moved down here, and I joined uh, the Willow Springs group. I've been a member there just a little over 20 years now. But I knew a lot of you from that group because my sponsor, you know, in the beginning, they would just put me in the car, and we would sometimes drive over to Willow Springs. And from Wilson to Willow Springs, felt like it drove me to the end of the earth, you know, because <laughs> at that time, if you took Highway 42 from Wilson to Fuquay, there was nothing out there. It's so, it's so built up now, like through Clayton and all that. But in, in the late 90s, there was very little there. So it just felt like we'd go to the end of the earth, but then there'd be this great A meeting out there. And we'd have a speaker meeting, and we'd drive back. It would seem like the middle of the night and get back to Wilson, you know. But, but I'm grateful for those experiences. You know, show me you could have a little bit of fun in sobriety. Um, the, the people that, who normally would not mix. You know, again, I was going to meetings with people 20 or 30 years my senior sometimes. Um, and it didn't matter a bit to me, you know, it, it didn't, I thought it would, you know, I thought I'd need to find a young, cool crowd to hang with, but I would, you know, you, there's probably some young, cool, a good, responsibly sober crowds around in Raleigh. I know Wilmington's got a big young people's thing, but in Wilson, where I was, there was not, I mean, it, but it never mattered to me. They were, that language of the heart foot wouldn't meant something to me that they offered a way not to, you know, and not to drink, but, but to be happy about it. I mean, I, I really never thought I would get to the point where, I, there would be a reason I'd be happy not to drink. I and mean, that's really what was baffling to me. I, I thought maybe I'd find a way to sort of begrudgingly kind of not drink if that was going to be the way it was. But I, I've absolutely been introduced to a way of life that has been as far exceeded what I would have done. I think all of us could say this if you've been sober for any length of time, that you know, if any of us had plotted out what we thought, man, if I could just get a couple of these things and or just feel this way, I would, that'd be it. I'd, I'd call and say that's as good as it ever has to be for me. And if you hang around AA for a while, and this is because of God and Alcoholics Anonymous, it's not because of me or any one of us, but, you know, we, we have the chance to do all kinds of stuff, you know, and, and to live through all kinds of stuff, too, and, and to, to weather that storm, you know. Um, I lost both my parents real suddenly within about six months of each other um, a, a year or so ago, and very, very difficult time for me, you know. We don't really preach the gospel of prosperity here. I mean, that's not what Alcoholics Anonymous is, but it sort of sounds like that sometimes, and... But, but life visits all of us sometimes, and I'm grateful for my own group, and, and um, you know, there were times the last year I would literally just show up like a burnt husk is what I felt like, I, but I would just take that action. And that's one reason I'm, I'm, I've been bugging my sponsor a lot more the last year, and I'm grateful for that, that I've had that. And I'm a guy who likes regular action. You know, I, I think I've called that guy every week for the last 25 years, you know, and, He's never really minded. There are a few times I think he minded, you know, but for the most part, he's, he's been good. And I try to remember that, you know, because you get those calls sometimes and they're not always at the right moment for us. But I try to be available to other people because that's really what our job is today is to carry the message and uh, to get that. Again, that was one of those things that was really late blooming for me. You know, you hear people talk about, you know, if you're still coming to meetings for yourself, you know, that you've missed the point. Well, I did that for a number of years. I needed a meeting for a while. But I never, I never didn't try to carry the message as well, too. But, but that has well moved in my sobriety that if I just get myself out of the way, I made a talk in, in March at a place, and it was, it was a big thing, and, and I was just so nervous I could not get out of my own way. And it seemed like if I can just get my self-centeredness and my ego and my pride out of the way, I'm, I'm so much better. 
And, and the meeting is so much better too, I think. Uh, but sometimes we get stuck in it, you know, and I gave a talk a month ago and I, I even talked, I said, look, I know that probably wasn't very good. And they're, oh no, it's fine. Look, I, I know that I, I just couldn't get past myself sometimes. And so I think for me, the idea is to get out of myself and carry the message. And when I'm in that stream of goodness and, and you're trying to just live by spiritual principles and not worried about what I look like or what I sound like or, or any of that stuff. I mean, that's where the real solution is for me. It's sort of in, in giving ourselves of that. So anyway, it's been awesome. I do appreciate the food. It's great to see a lot of friends that are members of this group and certainly appreciate you guys listening to Susie asking me. Thanks. Thanks.